The first reading is Matthew 13, 1 to 9, on page 1,121, if you've picked up one of these Bibles in the entry. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who as he is, let him hear. The second reading continues on. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts had become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, Celine. Uh, do keep your Bibles open there. I encourage you to have a paper Bible. Uh, because then you'll be able to do what I'm going to get you to do in a minute, which is to flick through a few pages. Um, but uh, it's okay. You could probably, you might possibly be able to do it on your phone. I'm not sure. But I encourage you. Paper Bible is good. Um, there's, imagine that you've got a, a neighbour. Say his name's Peter, that you met a little while ago. Uh, maybe you met him uh, a couple of years ago over the past... A few years you've been having, you know, just those everyday kind of conversations with, with them, uh, with him. Uh, but more recently, you've had a chance to talk a bit more at length. Uh, in particular, you've 
you've been noticing together the, what's going on around in the world and that, that turmoil and unsettling things that are going on, the, the, the famines and the earthquakes, the suffering that's in the world, the wars and the fighting, the, the threat of terrorism, even in our backyard and, and kind of political corruption that we seem to continue to hear about. Along the way, you've been, you've been praying for him, uh, praying for an opportunity to talk more about the hope that you have in Jesus and how that uh, comforts you as you consider the turmoil around you. Sorry, I just... Now, finally, finally, last month, uh, you, this opportunity came. Brilliant, you thought. You know, an answer to prayer. I've been praying for this opportunity and you had this opportunity to, to share with him one afternoon. And maybe it went a bit like this. You know, Matt, as you know, we've been talking about the world and what's going on in the world and it all feels pretty hard to face for me. And, you know, I really don't know what I'd do, you know, to weather that storm if I didn't know the God who was bigger than all of those problems that we're facing. You know, human efforts just always seem like they fail. But at least Jesus knows what's going on. He cares and he's going to ultimately do something about it. Oh, yeah? How so? It doesn't really seem like God is doing anything to me. Wars still happen, innocent people still die. And Jesus, you know, like, who knows about him? All different people have different ideas. And if he really was here a couple of thousand years ago... Well, yeah, Pete, like, I've, I've looked at the historical evidence about Jesus and I'm convinced that what the Bible says about him is really true. I mean, he, he came once to save people by dying for them and he's going to come back again to judge. Have you ever, like, really looked at the evidence at Jesus and, and where you stand with him? Me? Oh, no, nah, not really. Look, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to start now anyway as well. There's just too much stuff going on in the world, stuff in life, too much to think about. I'm too busy for all that God stuff. Well, that's, that's a bit of a shame, you know. Like, I, I really think that, that checking out Jesus and, and thinking about where I stood with him was one of the most important things that I did in my life. Okay, well, you know, leave it with me. Look, maybe I'll want to come back and think about that later in life when I've got more time. Is that the kind of conversation that you've ever had with someone? Or that maybe someone's had with you? You're there, the Christian, seeking to say, hey, look, you know, there's, we don't need to face the turmoil and frustration going on in the world uh, seeing that there is no hope, but actually there is real hope in Jesus. Not just for now, but for eternity. But his friend, Peter, just wasn't interested to think about it to think more about Jesus, at least not yet, anyway. What should th those who follow Jesus do when they see others deciding against following Jesus? Is, is it kind of a signal that, you know, God's plan is not working or something? Or what about you? If you don't yet follow Jesus, what are you going to do when you do hear about him? How will you respond well, today, as we jump back into Matthew's Gospel, those are some of the questions that we're going to be thinking about uh, that Jesus is going to lead us to as he talks both to the crowds and his disciples. So we are coming back into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, uh, but that's 12 chapters after the beginning. A few things have been going on. So what I'm just going to do briefly with you is just talk about what's been going on in Matthew and how things fit together. 
You see, Matthew uh, seems to be structured uh, somewhat into slices of kind of action, you know, narrative uh, and speech. You know, Jesus' discourse, if you like the technical word, uh, discourse, action, discourse, action, discourse, action, speech. Um, and so if you come back with me, this is probably, uh, I've got a, a, happen to have a red letter Bible. It's probably one of the only good things about having things in red letters uh, is that you can see this pattern quite easily. Um, you go back to the start and everything's black because it's all action, it's all narrative uh, from Matthew chapter 1 uh, through to Matthew chapter 4. We've kind of got Jesus, the introductions of Jesus. We see John the Baptist and, and Jesus' baptism and that kind of thing. But then you get to chapter 5 and bang, Jesus sits down and he talks for a couple of chapters, the Sermon on the Mount. That's the kind of the first slice, action, speech. Uh, and, and these kind of sections relate to each other. Jesus is kind of setting up, saying the kingdom is coming and then he talks about the norms, the patterns of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. It goes on, chapters 8 and 9. Uh, we see how Jesus uh, expresses the kingdom that he's bringing. Uh, he, he, there's lots of healing that he does up around uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and then in chapter 10, Jesus commissions the, the 12, the 12 apostles, and he, and he talks to them about what they're going to face as they go out. And that's kind of the speech in chapter 10. So uh, 8 and 9, sort of action, story, narrative, chapter 10, speech. We come to chapters 11 and 12. And here things change a little bit. Uh, there's a bit more tension going on, uh, a bit more opposition that Jesus faces. It sort of rises through these chapters here. Um, in the, if you look at chapter 11, verse 20, uh, we see Jesus begin to uh, speak, to, to, to say woes against the cities where he's done many miracles, but they haven't repented. Woe to, to Chorazin, woe to Bethsaida, uh, because they haven't seen and heard and understood and repented, turned back. They haven't responded to the signs. And also the opposition, uh, increasing opposition that Jesus faces with the Pharisees, uh, the teachers of the law who oppose what he's doing on the Sabbath. He's doing good things on the Sabbath. Uh, and so they oppose him and go out and plot to kill him on the Sabbath. Is even at the end of chapter 12, if you come with me, uh, you see Jesus' mother and brothers coming. They're kind of coming to, to rein him in. Uh, they think he's kind of gone off the rails a bit here. Uh, Jesus is starting to get a, a bit of a mixed reception. Uh, there's popularity there. There's kind of crowds flocking, coming to maybe just see the miracles. How deep does their interest really go? And so at chapter 13, we see a number of parables where Jesus talks in particular in this first one, the parable of the soul, about what's going on, uh, what's going on with the kingdom. God has come in his son. You'd think on the one hand that this would be, you know, it'd be a knockdown argument. Everyone would see and get on board, but that's not what happens. And so that's where we head in chapter 13. All right, chapter 13, parable of the sower. There's an outline uh, that you've got uh, as well on the way in that might be helpful for you as we uh, continue through here. Uh, it is called the parable of the sower, um, but it's not so much focused on the sower, is it? More so maybe focused on the soils. Maybe you could call it the parable of the soils. But we, we see Jesus say it to the crowd. Then there's this sort of uh, aside, this section where Jesus talks about parables and, and what they mean. And then 
he explains it. So let's have a look at the parable and then we'll come back and look in a bit more detail at 10 to 17. Well, that same day, chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Crowds came to him, so many that he sat in a boat, and while the people stood on the shore, he told them many things in parables. Here we are, verse 4. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Some fell on the path. The birds came and ate it up. Soil one. Some fell on rocky places. Soil two. It sprang up quickly, but withered when the sun came up. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant, and still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. And he says at the end here, he who has ears, let him hear. It's an interesting little phrase. We'll come back to that. See, the farmer sows this seed, and, and you've got these four types of uh, soils that the seed lands on. The path, which is the, the trodden path uh, in, the in the fields, pretty hard, so it's not going to go in there. There's soil which is only very shallow and underneath the, the limestone means that the roots can't dig down to water. That's kind of the rocky places that it's talking about. The thorns, obviously we get that, there's other kind of weeds and things there and the good soil. Well, let's see where Jesus goes with the meaning. Come with me to verse 19. Listen to what the parable of the sower means, Jesus says. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown on the path. The seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word, receive it with joy, but their roots can't dig down because of that rock. And so with no root, they only last a short time. When things get hard, they leave Jesus behind. Seed among thorns, well, they hear the word about Jesus, but the worries of this life, the, the empty promises of money, other distractions, choke the word from growing in their life, from them responding and being fruitful. And lastly, there is still other seed, he says. Other seed, verse 23, that falls on good soil. This represents the one who hears and understands the word about Jesus and his kingdom, accepts the word. Now, it's a parable uh, that many of you, I'm sure, of, or many of you have heard before. Uh, the meaning is fairly straightforward, as we see with these four soils. Jesus and his disciples, they're speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near, they say. It's come in Jesus. Repent and believe, and people respond differently. As I said before, it could be possible to think, well, given Jesus is God's only son and given he's bringing this true message of forgiveness, forgiveness and eternal life, you know, surely everyone would get on board. This is the, the one that they've been waiting for. The Jews have been waiting for the Messiah, the kingdom to come. But they don't all jump on board. They don't jump on board because Jesus as he comes, is different from what they were expecting, from what ideas they'd had in their minds of what God's king would be like. They hadn't seen the signs in the Old Testament, as we'll see. But this isn't a surprise to Jesus, and that's why he's coming into these parables. Some are simply not going to understand, he knows. Some will get on board eagerly, but when it's hard, they'll, they, they'll say goodbye. Some will be interested but there's too many distractions 
and others, still others, will, Jesus says, hear the word and understand. They'll delight in it. They'll be eager to grow. They'll produce a crop. Now, it's not clear or specific what the crop is here, but the point is, this is the one which is the right response, the, the response that leads to life. This is the, res- the desired response. But surely now our minds really are kind of drawn to the question of why. And that's where verses 10 to 17 take us. Why do some ignore it and some dip their toe in and then pull out later on? Let's have a look. Verses 10 to 17. The disciples came to him. Notice that they, they draw near. They draw near to ask questions. The disciples came to him. Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Verse 12, Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. Hmm. As we read this, as we hear that read, what thoughts come to mind? How do you respond? At one level, it it seems to to grate against our Aussie blood, which sort of says, well, everyone should have a fair go, surely. How can Jesus let some people know that God's kingdom is coming, is dawning with him and and kind of conceal it from others? What's what's going on here? It sounds a little bit kind of rich get richer, poor get poorer in there in verse 12 as well. What's going on with that verse? And parables, aren't they, you know, like illustrations that, people use to explain things so that people can hold on to them, can grasp them easier. That's kind of what you might have thought. And so how is Jesus talking about speaking in parables so that they don't understand? Well, there's a couple of things uh, to be clear on as we approach this. Firstly, the reality is that every single human being in the world is blinded by their own sinfulness towards God. They're blinded towards God. We're blinded towards God. That's what we've done with our responsibility towards God is is taking it and throwing it back in his face. We'll do things our way. Me, you, all of us. That's what the scriptures say about sin and we're rightly held responsible. I remember a little while ago a guy called Tim preached from here and he said you know you're not owned by you you actually belong to someone else and that uncomfortable feeling that we feel when we hear that well that's you know we're starting to get an idea about what sin is it's not just breaking rules but it's being God over your own life and not letting God be God In that state, without, without a change of heart, without blind eyes being opened, no one can see the truth. No one can come to God. No one can draw near. Open ears and open eyes are a gift 
to everyone, to anyone who has them. It's only by God's kindness and grace that anyone could be saved. And so it is in verse 16, that's what Jesus draws his attention to about the disciples. He says, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. He's not not saying, well, you guys, everyone else has got dull eyes and ears, but you guys can see well. No, he's saying, you've been given eyes to see. You've been given ears to hear. They don't have that innately in themselves, but it's by God's grace. They are blessed by God. This is God's grace. This is the way that it's always been. When the word of God comes, some reject it and remain under his judgment. Some receive it and are brought through judgment to salvation by God's grace. And that's what the quotes here in verses 13, 14 and 15 are talking about. There, I've got at the top of the outline, uh, I've referred to a couple of those passages. Deuteronomy chapter 29, Jeremiah 5, Ezekiel 12. You might want to look them up later on. Isaiah chapter 6. Israel, you see, is just like all of the other nations. They have stubborn, rebellious hearts. That's where everyone stands. And so as Isaiah speaks the word of the Lord to them, Many of them reject it. They reject it because it is judgment upon them that they reject it. They will not hear even what they have will be taken away. But still some, like Isaiah, like the remnant, those who are with him, some are Safe. Some have their eyes opened by God's kindness to hear that word, to heed it. And they draw near. All deserve judgment. Yet some are saved by God's undeserved kindness. God is sovereign and he is gracious. But do you notice as well, there's sort of two things going on here. There's both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. You see, open eyes and ears that hear, they are a gift, but God still calls people to respond, doesn't he? He still appeals to people. You see, what's going on here is not kind of God's sovereignty here and and that overrides human responsibility. Or or humans are completely responsible and God's not ultimately sovereign, but that God is sovereign in such a way as he doesn't rule out human responsibility. They go together. It's not sometimes one and sometimes the other either. As if when I make a decision, well, that's my decision and God's not sovereign. Or when God is sovereign, well, then that's not me and I'm not consciously my, my will, my desires are not consciously involved in that. In fact, it's together, it's both and. It's not like a switch, one switch. Imagine one switch and on one side it's got God is in control and on the other side it's got people get to do whatever they want. Humans are fully in control. It's not like a switch which goes switch, switch and it's either one or the other. But actually it's like two gears meshing together. 
at the same time as God is sovereign. So I am responsible. God is sovereign in and through our decisions sometimes to turn from him. God is sovereign in our decisions to turn to him. And secondly, in all of this, I want you to hear that God is still good. We can kind of wrestle with this question and, and, and struggle with it, the question of how God's sovereignty and human responsibility go together. If that's, that's, a, that's a good question to wrestle with, to, to come to God in faith and, and ask Him about it and, and look at what the Bible says and, and understand. If that's something that you want to keep thinking through, then I'd love to talk to you about it and, and read some books with you. But we can be tempted, I think, in this situation to come to God saying something like this. You know, God, I would actually be a more fair and more gracious God than you would be, than you are. You know, if, we, if you'd have done things my way, then, then we would have all been better off. But, you know, if I were God... And one of my, one of the sinful human beings that I'd made said that to me, look, he's a little dude, he looks a bit like me, before I'd cut my hair. If he was saying that to me, you know, I'd pretty much want to do this. That's what I'd want to do. Wouldn't you? Something that you'd made telling you that they knew better than you. Thank God that I am not God. And thank God that you are not God either. In fact, thank God Thank God that He, God, is actually God. And He is good beyond comparison, beyond even what I can imagine. And that in His plan, where we all deserved the pit, even some would be saved. So then how does this whole parable thing work? Well, as Jesus speaks in parables, yes, he both conceals and reveals. It's concealed to those who are hard of heart, concealed to those to whom God isn't revealing himself, but it's revealing to those who receive his undeserved kindness, his grace that those who have ears to hear then draw near like the disciples, draw near to ask questions and receive more. To the one who has, more will be given. To those who dismiss his word, they lose whatever they could have been blessed with. Where does that leave us? What's the takeaway here? There's just two things. When you do hear then, 
draw near. Whether you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, or whether you're not yet a Christian, or not thinking about being a Christian, can I say, when you do hear the Word of God, please don't ignore it, draw near. Dwell on it further, ask questions, wrestle with it, talk to people about it, seek understanding. This is the way God indeed saves people, that he's calling to himself. Let your eyes be opened. When you feel like you're being humbled and and, and challenged about your pride before the word of God, let yourself be humbled before the word of your maker. When you hear, whoever you are, wherever you're at, please draw near. That's what God wants us to do. But secondly, when we speak, when you speak, don't lose heart. There is good soil. As a Christian, when you point people to Jesus, as we've been thinking about over the last little while, we just start talking. When, When you share with them what he's done in your life, when you share your story, as you might have been thinking about recently, and you ask if they've thought much about Jesus themselves. And when they say, no, they haven't, and look, they don't really want to, and, you know, you get that awkward silence. Don't give up being one of Jesus' witnesses. Don't say, oh, look, well, that was hopeless. I'm never sharing my story again. Don't give up on that. Don't give up being a witness, continuing to being a witness to them and to others. God has prepared good soil, which is just waiting to receive the seed. And sometimes good soil takes time to see. Pray that God would open ears and eyes and give people ears and eyes to see and hear. There was, there was a guy once, his name was Nick. Uh, he uh, asked this guy who was his mate, uh, who he knew from school and was going to uni with, he asked him one time, hey, do you want to come to, to Bible study? And this guy, you know, he'd been at the uni campus and he'd seen him, you know, other people come up to him and say, hey, do you want to talk about Jesus? And this guy said, oh, look, no, not, not really, you know. Maybe God exists, and, but I'm not really interested. I don't, I don't really care about that. But still Nick had kind of, you know, later on asked this guy, hey, hey do you want to come to Bible study? And, well, that, that mate, he'd, he'd said that night, oh, yeah, okay. And he went along and he didn't stop coming after a couple of times like other guys who'd been invited. But he heard the word and he drew near. He drew near and in God's undeserving kindness that he'd given to this guy, that that was actually me. That was how God began to work his work in my life, calling me to him. So don't lose heart when it seems like people aren't responding, but pray and keep speaking. Amen.